Hey, I want to welcome you to Coastal Community Church's online sermons. And uh, before you watch this sermon, first of all, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to watch. And uh, we do want you to know that uh, this is a tool to encourage you in your walk with Jesus Christ, to grow closer to Him and walk with Him. Uh, we, however, at Coastal, hold a deep belief that uh, this should not supplement your attendance at a local church. We believe deeply in a local church. And so while we uh, this sermon is a, is a supplement for you, we want to encourage you to be a part of a local church, find a local pastor. Uh, if you're in our community, uh, in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love for you to attend with us. We have three services on Sunday morning, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15, and uh, we'd love for you to join us in one of those services. We're starting a new series at Coastal Community Church called Strength and Courage. And as a church, uh, we're ready to face some challenges of moving to a new location. And with change comes challenge. And so, uh, and while we're excited about the changes coming our way, we want to prepare for it as well. Joshua led the people of Israel to, the new, to a promised land, which had a lot of change and a lot of challenge. And so we feel like there's a lot we can learn from the book of Joshua. And so this fall, we're going to take a journey together. And we're mindful that Joshua is a type of our Savior. Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at Joshua and through the eyes of Joshua, we're going to look at our Savior, our King, and our leader as he guides us and leads us with strength and courage. Welcome to the new series through Joshua, Strength and Courage. Good morning, Coastal Church. Glad you survived uh, Joaquin Phoenix. And um, glad that you are here with us this morning you have your Bibles, turn with me to Joshua chapter 3. We're going to continue on in our series of strength and courage. And I believe God has something to say to us this morning as we look at his word. Pastor Sean began this journey with us several weeks ago. Last week, we had a special guest in Tony uh, Chester, who was the person that discipled um, and was instrumental in his uh, Pastor Sean's ordination, and so it was a real blessing to have him. And now we are in Joshua chapter 3, and we're getting into the promised land very quickly. Joshua chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the chair in front of you, or um, in the seat that if you go underneath and pull it out, it's going to be right there. Have no idea about the page, but let's do this. <laughs> Joshua chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites left Achaia and arrived at the banks of the Jordan River where they camped before crossing. Now, the next morning, from what? Back in chapter 2, the spies returned, reported to Joshua. If you look at verse 24, and this is what the report was. The Lord will certainly give us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. So early the next morning, Joshua and all the Israelites leave where they are, and they march, or they journey, all the way to the edge of the banks of the Jordan River, where they camp before crossing. Three days later, the Israelite leaders went through the camp, giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, follow them. Since you have never traveled this way before, they will guide you. Stay about a half mile behind them, keeping a clear distance between you and the ark. Make sure you don't come any closer. Then Joshua told the people, purify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do great wonders among you. 
In the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out. The Lord told Joshua, today I will begin to make you great in the eyes of all the Israelites. Now they will know that I am with you just as I was with Moses. Give these instructions to the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop. So Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. Today you will know that the living God is among you. Let's pray. And precious Father, we pray, Lord God, that you would take your word and you would divide between our soul and our spirit and our bone and our marrow. And Lord God, your Holy Spirit would work and change and transform our lives. That we would be more like your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray, Father, that it would be a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. Teach us your word, Lord God. And let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Israel now had Joshua as their leader. The Lord had prepared Jericho for destruction. They were afraid. Rahab protected the spies who returned to report to Joshua. Everything was in place to claim the promised land. The people were ready to move, and the Jordan River was in their way. All the little fears that they had were dissipated. God was dealing with all those little fears to prepare Israel to cross into the land. Now, geography. The people of Israel had gone all the way up to the Jordan River. Now, from where they were at the Jordan River, they were able to see Jericho and the lights of Jericho. Jericho was able to see across the Jordan River and see the lights of the Israelites. They knew it was coming. There was something that was happening. They, they, but they still had this huge Jordan River between them. And if you look at verse 14, it says, when the people set out to cross the Jordan River, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now it was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. So not only is the river in between them, but it's during harvest season and the waters are high, like outside my house in Pocosin. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there is this huge river that's raging. So they go all the way up to it and they know they can't cross to get to the other side. They know that the Jericho people can't get across to get them on the other side. And here we stand, here we are in this passage of scripture and God and Joshua have this process. And God tells them after three days of camping there, it's time to go. Get everybody ready. And there's some preparation that takes place for the crossing. And the first one is this. That if you're taking notes, priests carry the Ark of the Covenant. That it's the priests that are to take the Ark of the Covenant and go across the river. They're the ones that are going to lead the way. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is a box where the presence of God was dwelling. Now, today, the presence of God dwells in us. He doesn't dwell in a temple he doesn't dwell in a box anymore. He dwells in us. 
And so here's this Ark of the Covenant that represented the very presence of God for the people of Israel, and the priests were to carry it into the Jordan River. So they were the ones getting ready. Then Joshua goes and tells all the leaders, consecrate yourself or purify yourself or sanctify yourself, whatever word you want to use and whatever translation you have, and get ready, set yourself apart because God's going to do something great. It's like before you take communion, you look back at what Christ did on the cross, you look inward at your life and your sin to make sure you're in a right relationship with God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. You make sure that your relationship with God is right before you partake of communion before you partake of the Lord's Supper. It's the same thing. So Joshua is saying, get ready. Now, why is this unique? This is unique because God wanted the Israelites to recognize that this was a spiritual campaign and not a military campaign. How do we know that? He reminded God's people of the importance of holy preparation. This was very much, if you look in Exodus, it's very much like the people of Israel before the Passover angel came over while they were in Egypt and the parents are there and the Passover angel comes over and all of a sudden the people had to prepare by putting blood on their doorposts and the angel that came over killing the firstborn in every house that didn't have the blood on their doorposts. There was a preparation or a process that they made sure that they were in right relationship with God. And so the people at to, to this point, now these are the children or the offspring of those. All of those parents had died in the 40 years with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that came back to give a good report. So we're talking about a young, young, young people. And they're all under the age of 40, 40 and below. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they're all there, and they're getting ready to cross. And Joshua says, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. There's a holy preparation that needs to happen. Make sure you're in the right relationship with God. Secondly, it was not a call for swords and shields or ready for physical battle. See, here's the unique thing about this. This is what I love in Scripture is that this battle was the Lord's. It wasn't a physical battle. When you think about what's going on in our country, it is not a physical battle. We don't arm ourselves with sword and shields. Joshua didn't say, sharpen your swords, get your shields ready, because we're going to go to battle. He said, pray. Make sure you're in right relationship with God. Set yourself apart from the things of this world and focus your attentions on the Lord because the Lord's going to bring us a great victory. God's going to do something. And isn't it just like God, just before God does something, God wants to prepare his people for it. When you think about the tragedy that happened in Oregon this week, our response is not to vote differently or, or, or gun control or, or, or gun, you know, bigger guns or whatever. It's, it's none of that. It's to recognize that our battle is spiritual, not physical. Amen. We got to get on our knees and we got to pray Amen. for transformation of people's lives. Because the hope for our country is not found in all of those things. It's found in Christ and Christ alone. The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers, against the dark rulers of the earth. See, the battle is spiritual. We're not wrestling against somebody. We're wrestling. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 27, it says that the battle is the Lord's. It's not ours. He's the one that is the, the one that is going to carry us through and see it to the end. So in the preparation for the crossing, they prepared the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. They were to look at it. They were to, to get it ready. They were consecrated. They were setting themselves apart for the Lord, and they were to listen to the word of God. Look at verse 9. It says, so Joshua told the Israelites, come and listen to what the Lord your God says. If you want to prepare for the great work that God has for you and this church, you need to be in the word of God. This is the process. This is the process. This is what God uses to transform us. His word. It's, it, here's the deal. It's not that I am in the word, but it's also that the word is in me. David said, my, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. This is all part. And they listened to the word of God. They came to the point where they were saturating themselves with the word of God. And so Joshua stands up and gives them the word of the Lord. Isn't that great? So they're prepared. They're this point. And what does the word of God do? The word of God strengthened them spiritually. He strengthened them with the word of God. And the second thing after the preparation of the crossing is the process of the crossing. If we look here in Joshua chapter 3, the priests then, they get all ready and all of the people, the people have to kind of stand away from them. They get ready and walk into the water. Now, yesterday, it wasn't too bad yesterday, the day before Friday, I had water almost all the way up to my house. It was awesome. My kids are wading out in it. My daughter, Grace, she's walking out. She thinks that she, her feet were going to be dry because she was wearing her rain boots. It went up to her waist. And she came in and she goes, my feet didn't stay dry in my rain boots. I said, well, honey, the water kind of got in there or whatever. And they were playing. And the water was moving, and there was lots of tides moving. Now, picture this. Picture the rapids. It's harvest season, and the water's rushing through in the Jordan. And you're a priest, and you're going to carry a box and walk into this. I'd be like, Joshua, you go first. You and the mighty man, go first. Go. <laughs> you go. Go, go. go ahead. No, no. And so they had to walk in with this ark. Inlaid with gold with the angel. I mean, they had the seraphim and it. I mean, it was gorgeous. And they, and they had to walk in with this first. Interesting that it's the spiritual leaders that led the way for the nation, not the physical or political. Amen. God wants, uh, God, we want to see a transformation take place in our country. We as spiritual leaders ought to step up and lead the way. Amen. That's when we're going to watch God do something supernatural. That's why the priests walk into the water. And what happens? The water stands up. Water stood up in a heap at Adam. Adam's not a person, it's a place, okay? What happens? I want to read this to you. It's just one of my favorite things. Verse 13, the priests will be carrying the ark of the Lord and all the earth 
When their feet touch the water, the flow of water will be cut off off stream and the water will pile up there in one heap. This is Joshua chapter three, now verse 14. When the people set out to cross the Jordan, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now it was the harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water began piling up at a town upstream called Adam, which is near Zarthan, which sounds like a Klingon. And the water below that point flowed on the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the city of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Lord's Covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by them. They waited there until everyone had crossed the Jordan on dry ground. Now, there's lots of discussions and interpretations of this. In fact, I'm gonna give you three views real fast. About, this, about the water standing up at Adam. It's 15 miles north of Jericho. So understand this, the water stood up 15 miles north of Jericho where the people were and the ark was. So they walk in 15 miles north. Okay, there's three interpretations that you can read about it. The first one is this, that it didn't happen. It was, it was really, they didn't really cross the Jordan, they crossed the Jordanian or whatever, some little stream and it wasn't that big of a deal. Okay, it didn't really happen and people tried to explain it away. That's one of the views. The second view was that there's an earthquake, that God caused an earthquake to fall right in that moment, and then the waters passed, and then they could all walk across. The problem with that is they all walked on dry ground, not mud, Amen. okay? So there was this sense that, that there's this, some, okay, so, but, they, but, but there's this earthquake that happened, and it, there's, there's historical precedence for this. In December 8th of 1267, 16 hours the Jordan was stopped when part of the west bank of the river fell into the river, okay? July 11th, the British writer writes, in 1927, for 21 hours, the Jordan was stopped because a landslide in the north stopped the flow all the way down. But they talked about this, and they said that it was all mudded. It was just a mud pit. But the Bible says here, which is the third view, is that God just did something supernatural to demonstrate his awesomeness. And I think that's the view here because understand this, God validated Moses through some awesome miracles. God was in the process of validating Joshua through this awesome miracle. Now remember, all of the kids of the parents were maybe told the stories of the crossing of the Red Sea and the plagues in Egypt, but they were all kids. They had never experienced that for themselves. So now all of a sudden, God wants to do something in their lives, and so what he does is he wants to show his awesome power. One commentary I wrote said this. It's read, it said this. It said that it was like God stuck his hand in the water at the point of the ark and shoved it up 15 miles the land, the dirt, and everything so that everybody could walk on dry ground. This other commentary I read said they didn't line up single file to cross the Jordan. They lined up along the Jordan. So that when God had this thing go 15 miles up, that every single person got to see the awesome power of God in their generation and in their time. So think about it that way. They're all lined up this way 
They have to stay about a half mile away from the ark because when God does his thing, it's pretty awesome and holy and you need to recognize that there's this fear, this awesome respect that they're supposed to have for it. But the people stayed 2,000 cubics or 3,000 feet away from the ark. But the ark was always to be kept in view. It was God, not the military that was leading them. The living God. And so when God's people and the priests of God moved with the ark of God and the presence of God and the the waters went up 15 miles, all the people got to see it. Can you imagine standing there with your family? Whoa. It's time to go, kids, I guess. You know, can you see it? Can you see the people and the excitement of, we've heard of this God, but now we get to see him in action. And what happened? The people crossed together. And God gave them a little project, and a little assignment. It was to 12 men, one from each tribe, to grab 12 stones for a monument. This isn't new to the people of Israel. Exodus 12, 26 and Exodus 13, 14, Moses does some of the similar things to create these monuments or these memorials to the Lord. And I think monument's a better word because when you think about memorial in our day and age, memorial is like the 9-11 memorial. We'll remember something tragic that happened. But when we look at monuments, we remember something great that happened. So I like to use the word monument. It doesn't matter. There's different words, but, but it's this idea of it's a sign, it's a remembrance. So all the people, they cross over, they're looking at the Ark of the Covenant. Now they were interested, it's interesting, they weren't to look at Jericho where they were going. They weren't to look back to where they had been and what God had done in the wilderness and the crossing of the Red Sea. They weren't to look at each other. They were to look at God and the very presence of God. The Ark of the Covenant as they crossed. I'd be like, look over there, kids. We're crossing the river. Keeping their eyes fixed on the Lord. Why? Because it was the Lord that was leading them. He knew the way. It was his land. He was entrusting it to them. So they grabbed the stones for the monument. So what are the principles here that God is trying to teach Israel and teach us here this morning? What are the principles of this crossing? Well, the first one is this. What did the crossing of the Jordan mean to Israel? The first one was this, that God had not forgotten Israel. I, I, if I'm 38 years old, I've been wandering in the wilderness my entire life. And now all of a sudden, God's about to do something. Everybody had died after 40 years. God's about to do something. Okay. I'm, I'm, I don't know. My parents said I'm supposed to believe this way. And this guy, Joshua, I'm supposed to follow him. And okay, I guess I'm going to go along with it. Can you see a little bit of the skepticism maybe? We've wandered in the wilderness and nobody stopped to ask for directions. My, my, the wives would have been pretty ticked off, I'm sure. <laughs> so it's this idea of they're, they're all there. And, and here's the deal. I think they believed it, but I don't know if they believed it all the way. Why do I say that? Well, because in 
Pastor Sean's going to share this in, in chapter 5. They weren't, they didn't, all the men weren't circumcised. And the circumcision was the sign of the covenant between God and Abraham. It was the sign that you were Jewish. They hadn't circumcised themselves. None of the men were circumcised. The parents didn't circumcise them. So there was this sense, even in the preparation process, and isn't this great to know that God, God let them take a little step, showed his awesome power so that they could take the big step once they crossed the river to have themselves all circumcised in one day. Kids, if you're here and you don't know what that is, ask your parents after the service. <laughs> but it's this, it's this awesome sign and covenant to the awesome power of God. It's that, that, that relationship that God had with his people. And that was the sign that they were to, to do. But it was this idea that when they crossed the river, they, they realized that God hasn't forgotten us. He didn't leave us in the wilderness to, to die. Maybe you're here in the wilderness this morning and you feel like you're dying. God hasn't forgotten you. He, he loves you very, very much. He's just got some things that are in this process that he wants to teach you and grow you, but he hasn't forgotten you. Isaiah chapter 45, it talks about how can a nursing mother forget the baby? And I have a one-year-old son and I can pro I promise you, tell you that the nursing mother cannot forget the baby the son of her womb. She said, even they may forget, but I will not forget you, for behold, I have engraved you upon the palms of my hands, and your walls are continually before me. He doesn't forget his own. Second thing of what it meant to Israel was that God had them set up a monument, a monument to, to remind them to commemorate to celebrate the awesomeness of their God. Why a monument, you ask? Why, why a monument? Well, I think there's three reasons why God had a monument, and, and these, are, these are the three that I wrote down. There's some others, but the first one was this, is it teaches us that the memory of our miracles of the past are not enough to sustain us, but to remind us of how uniquely personal God is. See, I think sometimes we rest in the fact that maybe, God, yeah, God did this miracle. And then over time, we kind of forget what he had done or we start to explain it away. You ever been there? Now, I had cancer and, and God, after two and a half years, healed me of it. And after time, it gets to the point, well, I did this and I did this and I did this instead of going, no, God healed me. Wasn't the vitamins I took? It wasn't the stuff that I did. It was the fact that the God of the universe moved on my behalf and healed me. And there's a miracle and a monument to that fact in my life that I get to look at every time I have a journal. It's a monument to the greatness of my God. It's my God. He can be yours too if you don't know him. He's powerful and awesome. And sometimes the, the memories are not enough, but God is personally involved in each one of our lives, and he has specific plan and purpose. It's why you're still here. He wants to use you for his glory, for the kingdom of God, especially when it's difficult and hard. And here's the deal. He doesn't deal with us the same. He didn't deal with the children 
of those that crossed the Red Sea the same way he dealt with them. And he's not going to deal with their children the same way as we read on in Joshua and in Judges. See, if God had, had he done the same thing, he could have just stepped in. Joshua could have held up the staff, and all of a sudden, the waters could have parted in the Jordan, and they could have just walked across. No, it was a little different because God's personal, and he does things differently for each generation and for each one of us. So what is God calling you for your generation? What does he have for you? What is, what's the next thing he's calling you and prepared you for? It's a personal God. Number two, for the next generation to see God's provision. Yeah, we were in the Jordan. We were all camped there. There was this huge river. I don't know what we were going to do. We're thinking about making some bo boats. We're thinking about calling the Army Corps of Engineers. I don't know. Well, Billy Bob brought a little jet boat, but we could only get across two at a time. You know, it's that idea. What are we going to do? No, it's for the next generation to see God's provision. See that tower over there? Those 12 stones? It's when God pushed back the waters 15 miles and we all walked across on dry ground. That's what that represents. That's what it reminds us of. I love it. Look at chapter 4. So Joshua called, verse 4, Joshua 4, 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men and told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes. <laughs> if I'm the leader of the tribe of Judah, I would be like, John, seven foot, 380 pounds, get the biggest rock, man. Ours better be the biggest. <laughs> Beat those Benjaminites, man. Yeah, okay. That's why God made him, and he grabs the rock and the stone, and he puts it up, and then another guy puts another one, and they create this huge monument to the Lord, commemorating the greatness and awesomeness of our God. And it was for every generation to see it. Look what it says there in chapter 4. Verse 23, it says, For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. Verse 24, he did this so that all the nations of the earth might know the power of the Lord and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. <coughs> and why did, he, why did he say that? I love it. <laughs> Why, why was that said? You're like, yeah, awesome. Because he looks and he says this, verse 20, it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones, took it from the Jordan River. Then Joshua said to the Israelites, in the future, your children will ask, what do these stones mean? And you can tell them. What's happening when we go to Kroger, it's not for us. It's not even for our kids. It's for the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. It's not about us, remember? It's about the Lord. It's why we do what we do. 
And that we have an opportunity to, to put, and you can, you can look at a building years from now when you're old and gray and look at your grandkids and you could go, you see that building? Bunch of people stepped out on faith, raised a million bucks so we could move into this. Because God had called us to make a difference in the peninsula, to feed the peninsula, to care for the peninsula, to, to, to make a difference in this area for Christ. And a bunch of people got together and saw the awesomeness of their God and then got, watched God provide. <coughs> and then you know what will happen? Your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids will be looking, what's the thing that God's going to call me to do so I can watch something supernatural happen in my lifetime? <coughs> Number three, when you're in the valley in need of courage, you can always look and be reminded of the powerful God. So think about this. You're, you're, it's in Gilgal. It's in the promised land. He builds this monument to the Lord, and maybe they're, they're discouraged, or maybe they're in the point when they're marching around Jericho. Maybe they're marching around Jericho. We're going to read about that in the future. Well, they have to do some unorthodox things, and maybe they're a bit discouraged. Maybe they're a bit frustrated. Maybe they're a little down. All it takes is a moment. Hey, look at that. Remember when God did that? He's going to do something again. Maybe some of us need to be reminded of those promises that God has for us. Maybe you're in the valley and you're in need of courage. Maybe this place is a, is a monument to the Lord your God that you've been a part of this. Maybe that Kroger building will be. It's not the county's. It's not Kroger's. It's not even ours. It belongs to the Lord, and the Lord has done it, and he is doing it. Let's just be a part of something supernatural. Isn't that awesome? It's the powerful God let us see, what, what did the promised land mean to Israel? What did it mean to Israel? Because that God always keeps his promises. If you're here this morning and you are discouraged and you're in the valley and you're difficult and there's not too much you can hold on to, there's some promises that you can hold on to. And I want to give you this promise, and this is the promise, that God always keeps his word. And maybe there's only a verse that you can hold on to because every single other verse in your life has kind of slipped away. And you don't even know if you can trust the faithfulness of God. And you're at that point and you've got one verse and you're clinging to it with all your might. And you're wondering, God, are you going to keep this promise? I know that season in my life, God gave me Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Stop. God, I want and I can't, ha I, I can't even get by this. And for weeks, I just read that verse and I couldn't read much else because I needed God to, to, to be my shepherd so I didn't want because I wanted so many other things. But I had to hold on to that promise. It was the only promise that I could hold on to. And if it was the only promise in the Bible, it had to be enough. If you're holding on to a verse of the day, and it's the only promise in the Bible, let it be enough. 
Hold on to it and let God replant that deeply in your life so that he can grow a wellspring of truth and transformation in your life. What's the promise he's given you? How about this one? Jesus loves you, but God committed his love towards us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How about this? For God so loved the world that in the midst of tragedies that we see in Oregon, that people are worshiping today in their churches, Christian churches, and loved ones aren't there because they were shot by somebody. They can hold on to the promise of God that God says that I will never leave you or forsake you. And that might be the only one they have. And it might be only the only thing that gets them out of bed in the morning for the next year. But it's enough because God keeps his promises. Keeps his promises. So what the promised land meant to the Israelites. God had promised he was going to give it to them. And he delivers. Every time. He just doesn't do it in the time that we think he should do it. That's the hard part. See, it wasn't until I accepted the fact that God was going to heal me, whether in this life or the next, that I fully understand this. Second thing the promised land meant to Israel is it reminded them the source of all their strength and courage. Sorry, Disney Channel. The source of all strength and courage is not you. It's Christ. It's God. You don't find it in yourself. You got all the strength and courage you need. No, I really don't. I'm really a coward. Help me. No, the source of all my strength and courage is the Lord. He doesn't change. He's the rock. He's my strong tower. Look at the Psalms. David says this over and over and over again. My help is in the Lord, he says. The third thing is that it validated God's leader, Joshua. Joshua, hey, you're my leader, and I'm going to validate your awesomeness because of my awesomeness. And it validated God's chosen leader, Joshua. Number four, it's an everlasting reminder to fear the Lord. Look at chapter four, verse 24. It says, he did this so that all the nations of the earth might know the power of the Lord and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Do I have a God who is distant and untrustworthy? Let me answer that. The answer is no, but do you? Do I have a God who is impotent and weak? If he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the answer is no. Same God that we serve today. How does God deal with his people and what does he expect from them? Very easily, very specifically, he deals with us specifically and he deals with us lovingly. And what does he expect from us? He expects us to do what he created us for. I have a one-year-old son, and he's now getting into these little things where you take the little block, and then you stick it in the matching hole. There's like a little cross, and there's like a round one, and there's a square one. The son hasn't figured it out yet, but he gets real frustrated. He takes the square one, tries to stick it in the round one. He's like, pop! Ah! <laughs> I'd like to say he gets that from my wife, but he gets it from me. <laughs> 
and I'm like, man, I get that because that's how I am with God. I'm trying to do something that God didn't create me for. When I just do what God's created me for, it works every time. That's why you need to go to We Are Coastal. They have this spiritual gifts part that you can learn, like how God created you and wired you, so you can do what God wants you to do. How awesome is that? If you're not a member, sign up. Do it. It's not because we want your money. We don't care about that, all right? It all belongs to the Lord. I didn't want you to feel like this was an infomercial or something. Okay, and then the last one is this. Do you know this God personally? I know this God personally. Who's your God? See the same God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob? You see the same God of Israel that pushed back the Jordan River? See the one that shows his awesome power when you need it most? He's the one that's given you some monuments in your life that you can look back and say, God delivered me then. God healed me then. He's going to do it now. Has he given you some promises to stand on right now? Do you know that God? The Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become children of God. If you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what it's all about. That's the beginning point. Become a child of God. Receive him into your life. Jesus is God. How do we know that? Because he died on the cross for our sins. Well, lots of people die. It's great. He says he did it for our sins. Okay. But the awesome thing is that three days later, he rose from the dead. Now, nobody's ever done that. Jesus rose from the dead. There's more evidence for the fact that Jesus rose from the dead than any other miracle ever in Scripture. Any other miracle anywhere. Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that power, that's the power of God that changes and transforms our lives, that we can take our broken, messed up, unbelieving, unfaithful selves, bring it to the Lord and offer up, say, God, I know it's not much, but here it is, and it's all yours. And God takes it, and he transforms it and makes it beautiful and wonderful. That's our God, the very power and presence of our God. Do you know this God? Have you received him into your life? You say, Lord, come into my life and save me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose again from the grave, and I, and I receive you as best as I know how in my life. It's that simple. But it's profound and transformational, and you'll never be the same. Receive him if you haven't. I promise it will, it will change your life. He will change your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for prayer. Father, change us. We don't want to be unbelieving, weak, impotent people because we serve an awesome, powerful, life-changing God. So make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that your word is true, that we can stand on your promises and you haven't forgotten us. God, I pray for those that are hurting right now. I pray that you would comfort them. I pray those that are unbelieving, I pray that you would save them. Help them to let go right now and trust you. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
If you prayed to receive Jesus Christ in the service, there'll be some people after the service with some purple shirts that would love to just pray with you and take a Bible and talk with you about what it is to have a relationship with Christ. Don't leave here without letting somebody know. So now the time that we take our tithes and offerings, and this is the time that we give back to the Lord. Freely you've received, now freely give. The reality is that everything belongs to the Lord, and that we live in act and worship the Lord, not just with song here at Coastal, but we also worship the Lord through our giving and our money, because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. We believe that. And so as the ushers come, if you're visiting with us, we're just glad that you're here. Take the little tear-out card and drop it in the offering plate. That's all we need from you. And uh, if you are a regular, please give faithfully to the Lord as you have been giving faithfully this entire time. Let's pray. Ask the Lord to uh, receive his offering. Lord, we give it all to you. It's all yours. Freely we've received, now freely we give back to you, Lord God, what you've entrusted to us. Help us to be generous, help us to be loving, and help us to be a gracious people. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to talk more about the gospel as well, there'll be a prayer table and a couple of shirts that'll be up here at the front. Yeah.
Stop by and register to vote and check out the mission trips for 2016.